Hello, welcome to Affable Chat. Uh, my name is Benjamin. And I'm Joey. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, movie Isle of Dogs, a Wes Anderson film. And before you switch to another podcast, we are going to chat about this movie a little bit spoiler-free. Uh, yes. It's different from most of our podcasts. This movie still is in theaters, so we don't want to... Uh, we know most people probably haven't seen it yet, so we'll talk about it a little bit without spoilers. Then we'll give you the spoiler warning before we go into uh, more in-depth on this movie. Uh, yeah. So we'll let you know for those of you who haven't seen it yet. But yeah, so Joey, tell us a little bit about Isle of Dogs. Well, it's a really great original story with an all-star cast. Um, it's like a, a totally perfectly crafted. Like if you think of craftsmanship in movies, this is kind of like the pinnacle of that. Which I feel like Wes Anderson's movies, like a lot of his movies are like kind of have the same level of detail this movie has. But because it's stop motion, you can really appreciate like all the things that go into it. You know, I wrote something down. It was like... Um, uh, there's no accidents in stop motion. That's a good point. You know, sometimes you see in movies like stuff is improvised or you know things like that, and and those are, things aren't necessarily bad or you know make a movie worse. But when your attention of detail is so like so focused on every little frame making sense and you know everything piecing together into like this cohesive story, um, you can tell there's just so much love and so much just craftsmanship that uh, can go into this movie. It gives you a lot to appreciate. Definitely a stop motion film worth appreciating. It is definitely still the craft is still alive uh, when guys oh my like gosh. Anderson can pull something off like this. I feel like it's gotten even better than it has. Like stop. Like do you ever see Clash of the Titans or like any of those old movies that used to use, use stop motion for like special effects? Um, no, I haven't. Most of my experience with stop motion is the Christmas specials and also Wallace and Gromit. Okay, yeah, but like even those like. You can tell, like, you can see the jerkiness of the motion and stuff. But modern-day stop-motion stuff, they use, like, 3D printing and, like, all these different, like, techniques, you know, higher-speed cameras and stuff. Um, move, like, the studio Leica, I think, L-A-I-K-U, I can't, Leiku, I can't remember how it's pronounced. But they did stuff like uh, Kubo and Two Strings or Paranorman. Like, that. those movies are so incredible, just the amount of, like, detail and, you know, amount of time that goes into making something like that. So I feel like stop motion has only gotten better, even if it is kind of, you know, obsolete now. Well, know. it's it's just a it's a choice, right? You you could yeah. obviously make a more realistic, like picture of a flower if you took a picture of it with a high, uh, a high quality camera. Right. But there's still something to be appreciated for someone who painstakingly paints it out, right? So I think that it's it's a stylistic choice. And what is Wes Anderson if he's not known for his style? Yeah, that's very true. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to, like, I really want people to see this movie. I feel like this is a great movie to watch in theaters because of the detail, because, like, it's, you know, this all-star cast is kind of this all-encompassing story. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an epic in a way, but it definitely, like, lends itself to a big screen, I think. There's just so much to notice. Yes, and there's, there's definitely a all-star cast i was not i was definitely sleeping on this cast because when i saw the commercials for this movie i thought it's a wes anderson film i've seen yeah. commercials for wes anderson films before i know he's highly regarded um but having limited experience with his work it, it's tough to pull me into the theater with his name alone after seeing this movie that may, that is a little bit different but <laughs> But if you had told me Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum are all in this movie, yes, o- almost uh, Harvey Keitel, um, 
who else? Uh, Scarlett Tilda, Johansson. Tilda Swinton. Like, a lot, all these people that, like, move, can support movies on their own, basically. Um, Leave Schreiber, who is really, does a really good job in this. I, he's not as well-known, but I love him. And Francis McDormand's in this movie. Ken Watanabe makes an appearance. It's just, oh, man. Talk about all-star casts. Like, seeing all these great people come together to make something so beautiful, it just warms my heart. Truly, it, it's. Uh, it, I, I don't know if I just didn't what, didn't see the right ads, but this is a truly powerful cast, and they uh, they do well. And that, uh, that yeah. alone, I think, if you're on the fence, should push you over if you're just trying to decide if you want to see this film. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the details. I, one of the things I really like about this movie is that it's set in Japan. All the all the humans speak Japanese except for a couple, um, but there's no subtitles. It's all like in context. You have to figure out what's going on, but it's not hard to follow. It they really make it easy for you to understand what's going on. Right, and I uh, without trying to give away too much, uh, it, it's it's interesting because obviously this movie does center a lot around dogs, and dogs don't necessarily understand everything that humans say. So yeah. I think that that's a, if it's an appropriate movie to take on a challenge like. Uh, being multilingual and, and they're, they're very intentional with their use of language because they want you to draw conclusions from other uh, other things other than explicitly hearing it from the yeah, characters and I think it's done like so well I mean uh, this movie is like for American audiences you know even if it's set in Japan it's obviously like English centric but like despite that you can still totally understand everything that's going on you don't have to understand what all the characters say but i feel like if you did you'd you'd have an even more rich experience so it's just another detail to pick up on um yeah okay so here's a question for you do you do you think this is a kids movie or would you take kids to see this movie i think yes i think i would if i was a mom right yeah and it's it it's thursday afternoon and me and a couple other moms are trying to like the kids. Or let's say like a Friday, the schools are, the the kids have school off. Yeah, I think this would be a couple of hours I could spend, and the kids would be entertained, and I would also be entertained yeah. because it's got a you know a somewhat challenging plot line, but it's still simple enough that I think a kid would enjoy it. A kid basically gets what's going on, even if they don't understand every everything that's going on about it. Right. The visuals are stunning, and uh, and also just fun to look at if you're a young kid who likes dogs i think you'll walk away with a positive review of this movie yeah and I, I, despite it being like kind of violent and having like this little bits of like disturbingness to it um you know i feel like there's just little bits of it that like but i feel like the disturbing nature of it is more conceptual than it is like gross if that makes sense like you have to think about it in order for you to really be unsettled which i feel like is a powerful tool to teach kids kind of a morality lesson which i think this really is i think that's a really good way to put it because while there isn't a whole lot of actual graphic violence there is violence but not, not a whole lot of uh, real serious uh violence not, going on i wouldn't say it's explicit you know it's it's more implied Yes, and uh, but at the same time, it does cover some topics that end up being, uh, you know, somewhat frightening, some somewhat unsettling, yeah. because uh, the, it, they are serious. And it, this movie definitely earns its PG thirteen rating. When I definitely didn't expect that either, I showed up no. to the theater, I was like PG thirteen, <laughs> because there were mostly the people who were in the theater at one p.m. on a Saturday with me were mostly uh, children and you know older adults who would be you know old enough to have kids so uh it was surprising for me i it's not what i expected but i think it works well yeah i definitely think so too 
Okay, so do you want to move into the synopsis and talk about this more detail? Yeah, so here it is officially your spoiler uh, alert, spoiler warning. Yeah. We will be discussing the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see stop it. listening, go see it. Uh, but if you have seen it, stay with us because we're about to break it down. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's still dive into the synopsis here. <clears throat> Let me put my synopsis voice. <clears throat> Six months after Mayor Kobayashi of Megasaki City deported all dogs to Trash Island, his nephew Atari commandeers a small plane and goes looking for his dog Spots. Atari crashes on Trash Island and is rescued by five dogs. After learning of his mission, the dogs vow to help Atari or die trying. They lead Atari across the island until they are cornered by the municipal task force and nearly captured. Luckily, Spots arrives just in time to rescue the boy and the dogs. Meanwhile, on the mainland, a high school foreign exchange student is investigating her conspiracy theory that the government is behind the anti-dog propaganda that influenced the dog deportation order. This is spurred on when the student's preferred candidate for mayor, the science party's professor Watanabe, dies under mysterious circumstances. On election night, the students charge the stage with pro-dog signs and spouting their message of corruption. The mayor dismisses them until Atari arrives, flocked by Spots and the other dogs that rescued him. Atari thanks the mayor for taking care of him and addresses the gathered crowd. In the form of haiku, Atari asks, Whatever happened to man's best friend? The mayor is swayed by Atari's speech and reverses his decision to ban all dogs. With the conspiracy revealed, the mayor must step down and Atari takes up the position. All of the dogs are moved from the crash island and back to the mainland, and everyone lives happily ever after. The end. That was good. That was. Did you do <laughs> yeah. that from memory, or did you find something? No, I've I've made that up. So. Wow. Well done. Well, because that I I you know seeing this one in theaters as opposed to seeing it on my own, I wasn't able to pause it every time I had a thought. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I wanted to pause down. it so many times. I saw. I actually saw it twice. I have the luxury of working at a movie theater. I say luxury with in air quotes, but I can watch <laughs> movies for free. So I got to see it twice in the last week, um, and I'm definitely glad I watched the second time because there's so much more I picked up on that I didn't notice the first time. Um, yeah, this movie is so. Oh man, this movie makes me so happy. Honestly, I I, I hesitate to say it's perfect because there are a couple things that I kind of nitpick, but I love it. I love every minute of it, and it just sweeps you away. Like. It's so amazing from the from the very beginning when you realize it's all stop motion and you realize it's all going to be in Japanese. And then you forget that that's even happening by the end of the movie. You know, you're just swept up in the story so much that it's just incredible. It, it doesn't do any. Yeah, I can't even. I'm losing my words while I'm talking about it. I just love yes, it so no, much. It is, it is really an experience, especially when at the beginning they flash that kind of uh, warning. Not really warning, but just, just a... Uh, just a statement saying yeah. there we are intentionally not going to translate a lot of the spoken language in this movie right. and that's intended which i think having at the beginning of the movie it's something that i've never seen before so it immediately had me uh, wondering what this movie is going to be about i said right. uh, okay now i see why people are saying we have to see the movie you know why, why people are hyping this movie up so much because yeah. it does it is unique straight off the bat right because that, that's one of the first things on the screen is the um they say all the dogs are translated into English, or all the barks are translated into English. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, and uh, like you said earlier, it, it makes perfect sense for this film because the 
like the dog it's all told from the dog's point of view in fact i saw something on imdb that said that all of the scenes from the dog's perspectives um they don't they're more color muted they don't include colors like blue and green because dogs can't see those oh my gosh which i didn't wow. pick up on but that's apparently a thing so that was crazy too <laughs> I did like I, I thought that the dogs that we were focusing on this uh, in this movie were really interesting obviously e- easy to like them when they're voiced by the people that they were voiced yeah. by um, so I would not- say they're a little one-dimensional but they they are memorable each of them agree well who, who do you feel like is the main character for this movie oh uh, it's definitely chief right I feel like he's introduced really early on you know he's the one that kind of leads the pack in a in a way. The, you know, Rex is kind of the voice of the other four dogs in a way. It's really kind of that, that tension that builds the group. Um, but it really does seem to be Chief. You spend the most time with him and um, yes, well, and he, he's definitely, I think, one of the more dynamic characters in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so that would also be something uh, to, you know, he, he is definitely my candidate for who the protagonist is. Although we pay attention to different characters uh, as well. Cause like you said, Rex is kind of the voice for the kind of like the four, the foursome of hilarious yes. dogs. Oh my gosh. I love them. Formerly domesticated. <laughs> I love them so much. They're a pack of uh, alpha dogs, but they're, they're a democracy. You know, you're not the leader. We all are. <laughs> yes. And they're so committed to taking a vote. <laughs> every time, every decision is a vote. It's so good. But yeah, Rex voiced by Edward Norton. I was yes. happy to have his uh, voice heard a lot. Also, Brian Cranston as Chief. Right. He's so recognizable. Brian Cranston, a great actor, a great voice actor. Oh, my gosh, yes. All the voice actors in like this, in this movie just do it so perfectly. They, they really fit the character, I think. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just an in- incredible experience. Also. Well, it, it, like, it's Continuing with the dogs in that kind of four pack, yeah. I feel like like saying Rex is the voice of them is accurate. I guess I could have. I, it feels greedy to ask for more, but I feel like I could have seen a little bit more from Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum, uh, just because I know how talented those two guys are, and I know how funny those two guys are. Yeah. And while I did recognize their voices, I felt like their characters were a little bit more reserved. That's uh, true. And again, this doesn't. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum especially has a tendency to kind of steal the show with his characters. Oh my gosh! Uh, just look no further than his most recent Marvel appearance uh, to <laughs> him just being himself on screen and totally st- yeah. like stealing the spotlight. Which you know it's fine when he doesn't have to do that as well. Uh, I think that he no, but his a lot in his, his dog his is great role. too because he has that recurring joke where he's like, "Hey, did you hear the rumor?" And they're all like, "What rumor? Oh, did you? What, what are you talking about?" Yeah, remind us this. again. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, tell us again about that rumor. Yeah. <laughs> and he just and then they even address it at the end, like near the, the end of the climax of the movie. They're like, "Where do you hear all these rumors?" And he's just like, "I just keep my ears open. You know, I listen to any dog talks, but like yeah. you never hear." You never see that happen. You never see him talk to any other dogs. It's so funny. That is hilarious because you, I, I was always wondering where he was hearing this because they never show them just hanging out with other dogs and maybe like no, it's just conversing them. with them. Uh, well, okay, so let's talk about the way we're introduced to this group too because mm. they face off against the pack of like just all white fluffy dogs. Yeah. To see what's in that bag of trash. The sack. Yes, the one that they, while they're growling at each other and approaching each other, totally looking like dogs, by the way. I guess I've never seen, like, two dog packs actually fight each other, but they were growling and, like, in yeah. a formation and stand, right. slowly, like, standing slowly, like, off. getting closer and closer and encroaching, yeah. That was good. And then and they it... stop to decide if it's worth it to fight. They're like, wait, 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 before we tear each other to shreds, let's decide if we should even do this. Yeah, it's perfect. I love that so much. That was in the trailer, and I was I just love that part. 
Um, and yeah, like I, I mean, it does a good job of establishing that this is like a thoughtful movie in a way. You know, these dogs are like they don't they act like people in a way, right? They they obviously have dog characteristics. They're very loyal and you know altruistic, but they're also you know rational. Yes, no, and I I. Th- I, yeah, that's, it's it's well done in the sense that they aren't trying to say that dogs are basically humans. Yeah. Uh, they're still definitely dogs. Right. So, yeah, t- speaking of fights, I loved all the little fights they had in here and the scuffles where there's just, like, a, a cloud of white, like, cotton or something, and there's just, like, arms and legs sticking <laughs> out of it. And everyone's trying to zoom in and see like, what's happening in, like, in the details, but otherwise it was just, like, a mess of, like, of a scuffle. It's so funny. I love that uh, animation too, because it doesn't yeah. matter, right? Like it doesn't matter what it is; it's just a fight. <laughs> right, right, right. And it, well, it, it is so cartoony with that, but then it gets so real, especially in that fight, because uh, Brian Cranston's character Chief bites a dog's ear off, yep. or a bit, a large chunk of it off, um, which I think is probably a pretty common injury for dogs that fight probably. each other. I mean, well, he actually has like a chunk out of his ear too, not as big, but if you notice, there's like a bite mark in one of his ears. That's he's a he was a stray, you know. That's how things happen on the streets for these dogs. Yeah. So, do you want to like dive into kind of his arc? I I really like a lot of his pieces. Um, yeah. Because he, he okay. So he starts off as a black dog, but he's he's not just black. He's black with little white specks, which is something I didn't pick up on the first time. And because later in the movie he gets cleaned, and then he's white with black specks. Yeah. Um, which is you know the kind of. I guess that's a yin and yang thing. I didn't pick up on that before, but they do have yin and yangs in this movie, and I think that's the same kind of deal. What is the what is being represented by the yin and yang besides the colors? Like, what what would you say? Like well, it's ca- it's like the well, he he's kind of his transformation, literally, right? Because mm-hmm. he starts off like very he's against the little pilot. Like I never liked him, you know. He, yeah. And he um, and then he transforms and he kind of grows to love him and and see him as like you know this little boy that needs his help. So, it's in a way, it's like he started off, you know, mostly black, mostly bad, with white specks, like some good in him, and then mm-hmm. he turns from turns to white with, you know, so mostly good with some black specks in him, so with still some, you know, some of his past, I guess you could say, um, some of that ferocity. I could definitely see that because uh, when you start off, when you first meet Chief and like the the pack there, he is kind of ruthless he's all about being the alpha dog but he's also staying saying they have to stick together work together even like which you could look at as self-preservation because obviously it seems like there are packs that attack each other on this island but also he has he was like supportive of these uh dogs who felt hopeless dogs are talking about i just kind of want to die and he's like that's not how alpha dogs talk so i felt like that was kind of a uh a good quality maybe that light specs that are happening in a mostly dark uh, right when he know. was just just trustful of people you know it was really he was really dogs first and, and the other dogs were more humans first um and then he kind of transforms in the end to to go the other way so yeah i i do like that that arc and everything i think it's really cool and then having him you know basically fall in love with the boy and then has to, and then i love that transfer you know they ha- he has see, when he meets spots and he has the the little earpiece and then they give him they take the earpiece out of spots and give it to chief um, they have that emotional scene. It's like a wedding. They say, you know, well, do you take me to be your dog? Do you take yes. me to be your master? <laughs> it's pretty funny. It was so similar good. to a wedding. Yes. And they're all crying. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, such good stuff. And I really like like Chief's little arc there. I think he is a pretty strong character. Yeah, no, and it was a bold choice to have the dogs that look basically exactly the same 
get tr- like one dog give the other dog basically his identifying feature because mm. that's at that point you're trying to tell them apart the easiest way well, to they tell have those. pink and, and black noses so. that's true as well a little uh less subtle yeah. um but it's uh i which i thought was i don't know it was kind of cool because after that it seemed like chief had really made the transformation that's he true is. and yeah i guess later in the movie you're like oh is this chief or spots and before you could just say oh he has the earpiece so he must be spots but then that changes halfway through so you have to keep up <laughs> yes no and, and while we're talking about the facial features i thought that uh in a this whole movie i think you could say is pretty visually stunning but i thought that the choice of having like the really b- bright eyes uh was a interesting well it was a it was a really uh I don't know, cool stylistic choice. Cause there's yeah. a lot of scenes where it's just the dogs staring straight at the camera. Uh, and you get to, you really get a good look at their peepers. And, yeah. Uh, and the, and, the way they move and everything, it's so incredible. I, I can't imagine like, uh, like the animation like style and everything. Like, I don't know how they do that, but it's, it's so cool seeing them like be so expressive, which is something you can only do in stop motion, right? Like if you thought, if you could think you could make this movie in, in like live action and have like CGI, like dogs talking right or something like that it just wouldn't look as good you know having it in this kind of style is just lends itself to a much more immersive story no i agree and, and i like how at the beginning of the movie we have that scene with the uh the japanese man who like lights the candles he like hits a bell or something or a gong or it's, yeah well it, i think that they intentionally try to get you to realize all right this movie is stop motion like especially right. like lighting the fire it doesn't look like yeah real fire yeah um, and like the the wind moving and everything and like everything kind of sways yeah you're, you're exactly right you know all of that like little those tiny subtle movements is really what sells it i think and well yeah, but, yeah it's ahead. like kind of them setting it up to say like this is stop motion look how amazing stop motion is yeah but then as the movie progresses they kind of are like going beyond the limits of what you kind of your preconceived notions of what's possible with stop motion and suddenly you forget it's stop motion it's just this visually stimulating film i mean there's so many times where you get unique angles that you don't think that are indicative of stop motion right it's just a, a, an art project at that point yeah um, it's very typical like movie stuff you know yes. Wes Anderson's known for his pans and everything but like the way the camera moves it just feels so natural um I mean it really feels like you're in a real space even though it's totally constructed um but yeah it's, that's that's incredible um I, I'm just like I'm thinking about that one there's one scene at near the beginning when they first go to the the capital and the the mayor mayor Kobayashi is giving his speech the camera zooms down one of the aisles and it like passes by all the people in the rows it's like the you know those are there right like those people are there there's little there's little figurines in the seats it's crazy um it's just a level of detail for that definitely there's definitely you could go through this movie uh and every few minutes you'd have an opportunity to just sit and appreciate the cinematography because well it's just it is that realness right when you you when you're coasting through a crowd of people you're like each one of those is a individually animated little guy that yeah. they gotta move every every frame. <laughs> yes, uh, which is which is super cool. But I I, I want to stress at the same time, uh, I I feel like you can kind of lose grip of the fact that it's stop motion because this this is just it, it's kind of ambitious a lot of the stuff that they do, um, and you just you just get immersed. Yeah, exactly. But but I think that's that's what makes it like so rewatchable. Even you know just like. 
there's so much there's so much depth to it just appreciating the story in the first place and then you know going through once you know what's going to happen and just kind of seeing all the little details i mean like the bugs flying around there's like sometimes the dogs have ticks on them that move and stuff the fur on the dogs moves like as they talk and as like the wind blows just oh man and i mean this is so interesting because like I said, nothing unstopped motion happens by accident. So every frame is like perfectly crafted, right? It's like obsessed over to make sure it, it makes sense with everything. So that means they have all this opportunity to hide stuff, right? Like there's all this, these little details that they can put in in every single frame that you could pick up on that you're never going to find unless you watch it 10 or 20 times. Uh, and my favorite little like running theme in the background of this movie is the catspiracy. Did you pick up on that? Okay, I did want to talk about cats because at the end you can see that cats are kind of associated with like corruption or at least the the evil people that were in the government. Yeah. But I'll be honest, I didn't notice a running theme of some sort of cat conspiracy going on throughout the movie. Oh my gosh, there's so many little cat things. Like the first, I first clued into it the first time I watched it because um, there was like a couple of things in the very the introduction, the prelude where they're talking about like the Kobayashi's worship cats or something. And then later on, like they, they show the mayor and like his podium has a cat on it. And like the mm -hmm. auditorium has a cat uh, on the ceiling. Um, and then he has a cat tattoo on his back. I did is, notice that. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and then like, there's the actual conspiracy that happens where he's talking to all the people that he's conspiring with. And all of them are holding cats when they're, when they're doing that. I do remember that as well. Yeah. And um, at the very end, like there's there's like the big scuffle at the end, and uh, you know everybody's fallen over, and uh, there's like a five cats that like disperse <laughs> yeah. out of the podium. They're just like there somehow. Yeah, um, I mean there's there's so many little details of cats just just like hidden everywhere. The the drones like have like bef before their little bottoms open up and like the cage comes down. There's like a little cat on that panel, um, and there's. Uh, I mean, I could just go through this forever. Oh, the, on the TV, it says uh, cats. It has a little picture of cat and says technical difficulties when they're, like, <laughs> talking to the, the science, like, officer and everything. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, I seriously should have written them all down in order so I could just go through them because there's just literally so many of them. And, yeah, so I, the, I guess the movie is suggesting that cats are evil or, like, cats are part of this, like, anti-dog conspiracy. They're, like, hate dogs. Um, but I feel like it's a little bit deeper than that, honestly. I think it's something to do with like morality in general. I think Wes Anderson is saying something about how like humans are the only animals that like can make that kind of decision. Like dogs are good throughout this movie. You know, dogs are always loyal and like and everything, but cats on the other hand are conspiring to, you know, put people in prison and and you know, suppress an entire population, entire species. Um, but like humans are shown to be both, right? They're, they're kind of influenced by the cats, but they're also like, they torture dogs at some, like off screen parts of this movie. Um, you see the, like the after effects of that. And you also see, you know, people that are good to dogs. You see Atari who loves his dog and all of the, the kids that are trying to get the dogs up. And you actually do hear a little bit about like the ant, like the pro dog opposition that, um, tries to make their name known, but is shut down by the crime syndicate. So like humans are shown to be both and in fact can transfer right at the very end Kobayashi sort of uh redeems himself by giving his kidney to Atari um and by you know re redacting his previous anti-dog sentiments so it's 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 showing that like you know dogs are one thing cats are another thing but humans have the ability to be both and we really have to like make that decision of who we are 
and what we were meant to be, like right, Atari so, says. So, well, hold on. So, uh, well, before I continue with that, the kidney transplant scene, so cool. Oh, my so gosh, amazing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. That was, I, I, you can see everything. You can see right into their bodies. Yes. So very cool oh my gosh um, I'm, so glad, good. I'm glad you brought that up because i just remembered how awesome it was to see that yeah um, and like, like they the, take, sewing it up and yeah they take the kidney out and then they put it in a little kidney dish and the guy walks around and you can i was listening the second time you can hear him walking around off stage to come back around to the other side so you can get the kidney oh man you can like tell exactly where he is it's so cool yeah, uh sound cool. design in this movie is so good but yeah but okay so but going back to the whole cat thing so is it saying that dogs are some sort of inherent goodness and cats are some sort of inherent badness and we as humans have to choose what we want to support i suppose i don't know if like i don't know if we can really say like cats are influencing us and like you know it's not it's not totally humans like in this movie that are making those decisions because it does seem to be like human like intentions right I mean, everything is kind of based on humanity. They want to get rid of the dogs so they can save the humans. So, I don't know. Um, but there are instances where, like, the dogs are purely altruistic. Like, when when Atari arrives on the island, um, Rex says something to the effect of, um, he's the only one to come to the island and look for his dog. As far as we know, no other human has come to do that. And, like... And he's like, it's kind of this depressing moment, but he's also like, so we have to help him. Obviously, we help him, you know, because he's the best human that we have right now. Yeah. Um, and it's that pure altruism, right? When, they, when and then, you know, uh, Chief has this really great line where he says, um, what's it? Um, we won't find the dog, but we will die trying. And Rex says, well, that sounds worth it to me. Um and well, right, but th- th- that was also right after they just decided that they wanted to die anyways. So it <laughs> yeah. was kind of an easy okay. choice. But but I no, I won't take it away That's from fair. them That's because fair. they could have just died, right? But they they were like, I will we'll go with the option there. But I guess what I'm getting at yeah. is what are we saying about cats in general? Are, are is is Wes Anderson trying to lead us to a conclusion? Lead us to a conclusion that cats are somehow bad or inherently worse for humans than dogs? Or is he using cats in this movie just as kind of a playful way to allude to something else, like uh, like just c- corruption in general, or uh, you know conspiracy in general, uh, and cats are just behind it because that's funny because it's we generally put cats versus dogs, right? Uh, but this is this movie is nothing if not a love letter to dogs. Is it also a low key diss at cats? I I feel like it is. Um, you know I think. The cats and the dogs are both like one-dimensional ideals in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe that goes back to the yin yang thing, where you need both in order for like progress to actually be made. Um, you need a little bit of the bad, you need a little bit of the good. But it's I think it is like dog the dogs are the good ideal and cats are the bad ideal in a way. You know they're they're kind of ideologies, and it's really not embracing either that's going to help us. It's really kind of embracing both. Uh, which is kind of my own personal philosophy that I'm putting onto this, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think I like to think that it's just kind of a playful, uh, like, like, you know, nod to say, Oh, you know, cats, cause they're, they're not dogs, you know, they're the opposite of dogs in, a, in, in traditional media. But, um, I don't know. It, it definitely is a, 
uh, not a very good metaphor, I suppose. You know, it's not fair to cats. I guess. Yeah, that's I, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Because is is Wes Anderson like an outspoken cat hater? Because I don't know. the only thing he does is put cats in the same like in the vicinity of evil within this movie, right. making us view them as bad without actually knowing for sure that they've done anything bad yeah. or that they should be associated with. That's the true. You never see anything from the cat's perspective. It's all from the dog's perspective. Oh, the, you said uh, that he loves dogs. The if you. If you kind of squint, if you say Isle of Dogs, it sort of sounds like I love dogs. So, <laughs> I, I like mean, that a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure Wes Anderson do- is partial to dogs. I, I would have trouble believing he's not after seeing uh, this Yeah, movie. I've definitely seen, after seeing this movie. So one of the things I wanted to say uh, back when we were talking about just the animation style, it was yeah. stop, stop motion throughout most of the movie, but there's definitely uh, some cartoons or some... Uh, you know, yeah, uh, and just animation included. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. It was when they were showing us film, things that yep. were filmed uh, and on screens within the stop motion world. Right. They were portrayed as animation, which I thought w- was a really interesting stylistic choice. Yeah, me too. I liked that a lot, especially since it wasn't like, uh, it didn't quite look like them. It looked like a 2D rendering of them. You know, it wasn't like a picture on the screen it was a 2d animation of what was happening um and yeah that's done to all sorts of clever ways i think and it like it shows you the same characters but in a different style that's so interesting yeah every like drawn thing every thing that was um like a picture or like a tv screen was 2d animation not stop motion which I thought was cool. A, a, um, yeah, no, and it, it's just uh, another medium for Wes Anderson to express himself uh, in one movie, which is pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. I, I feel like this movie is like a style almost all to itself. You know, it definitely has Wes Anderson things in it, mo- Wes Anderson motifs and stuff. And there's, you know, he has his influences obviously throughout the whole movie because he wrote and directed it. But I, it definitely feels like its own thing. You know, it kind of stands by itself, even from apart from his other movies. Um, and I just really like that part. A lot of interesting landscapes in this movie as far oh, as yeah. the, the world that he's built. Because this is supposed to be a couple decades in the future, right? Yeah, it says uh, 20 years into the future. Okay. So it, well, even just the trash island was expansive. It was. It seemed real. It, yeah. You know, the trash went on forever. That one little area where the where spots had been dropped off and there was just piles of garbage cubes piled around him yeah uh, and, and it was just a very interesting and unique setting that's another thing i have to uh commend wes anderson just commend everybody involved in getting this movie made in <laughs> doing something original doing a uh, a brand new idea because it does exist. Not everything you do has to be a sequel or a... Uh, a reboot, reboot or a prequel, yeah. And here's the thing. It, it, there's nothing wrong with doing a prequel, reboot, sequel, whatever. Yeah. Uh, as long as you bring the same level of intensity, the same level of inspiration to that project and don't rest on your laurels saying, oh, we can make another one just because we've already made you know, three and they did well. So it doesn't matter what we put in this movie. It's still going to make money. I don't like that. Isle of Dogs, it's ambitious, you know, because uh, it, who's going to show up to this movie uh, because they don't they don't know what it's about, right? Yeah. It's a completely yeah. new idea, but if you're willing to check out a brand new idea, you might just find something new that you like. Yeah, exactly. And I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't understand the other side of it, I guess, at all at this point in my life. Like, I don't know. Is it, like, what you're saying is exactly true, though, because 
like uh, the, I think the best example is Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't have to try. Star Wars doesn't have to do anything. They can just put Star Wars on something and it will sell. And that's been true since Star Wars existed. You know, think about all the like not even not even about the movies or the TV shows. Think about like all of the merchandise that they make. You know, yeah. just because it has Star Wars on it, people will buy it. And it's so, I don't know. It's just soulless at this point. And you know, there's there's an opportunity for each each time when Star Wars movies come out for something them to like reinvigorate and make things better but that's i don't know they don't have any incentive to do that agreed and, and well they do have one incentive and it's that if they do it super well they can make something that's transcendent something that's remembered for more than just being another star wars like movie. the first one was right but it, but it's not I, I but i agree with you in the sentiment that other than that there really isn't a whole lot of incentive because when you go for something original yeah there's risk that people might not like it it might be something new might not catch on but yeah. you can also set yourself apart and do something like Isle of the Dogs. And it, at the very least, it's a, a more memorable than just another forgettable sequel. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, I mean, even like when I came home and saw my dog, I was like, I love you, dog. Like, I, this is so great. Like, I, and like, it was so strange to me when I first saw the move, like the trailer for this movie. I was like, oh, the dogs look kind of weird. You know, they have like this kind of weird shape to them. But like mm -hmm. after what, spending like two hours watching the dogs on screen and coming home and seeing my dog, I'm like, oh, no, this looks, they look exactly like dogs. Like, it's so crazy. I was looking at, like, I was walking my dog yesterday, and I saw, like, the, his shadow. And I'm like, this is, like, he modeled these after real dogs. Like, that, the shadow is a perfect silhouette of the, like, of representation of, like, what the dogs look like in this movie. It's, I don't, I don't understand, like, how he did it, but, like, it's, it's kind of changed the way I see things. And, and speaking of that, okay, go ahead. You're going to say something? Well, I was going to say the only difference between the dogs in this movie and the dogs that I know in real life is that the dogs I know in real life are a little bit uh, healthier, not as skinny. That's true. That these dogs are in bad shape in the movie, and it's almost difficult to look at because they're so uh, malnourished. They're so always sneezing and stuff, yeah. Oh, and the sneezing <laughs> is so funny, though. Because that's like they get some of the dog mannerisms down pat. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes. I, I think that they do a decent job of – like these dogs are different from real dogs in the sense that I think that real dogs look around a little bit more. These dogs have really good uh, discipline when it comes to looking directly at what they're focusing on. They're very attentive. Yeah, yeah, but I think that real life dogs are doing a little bit more looking around, a little less. Uh, well, you know, they're just a little more natural. But sure. for the most part, this movie does a great job of some of the dog mannerisms, including the one where it's like where a dog will sniff in like five or six times in a row and then do one out, like <laughs> like they like let yeah. one last one out. And I'm like, dude, my dog does that all the time, you know. <laughs> and, and, they, and they do that in this movie. Uh, oh, I love like. It's there's that on. one scene where um, uh, Chief is talking about his backstory and he's talking about like uh, how he was once adopted by a family and the other dogs like when they hear that they all like get, like get real close to him they all like scoot up real close to him and sit like sit real pretty it's so perfect yeah like, yeah it's like it's just, it looks just like dogs they just act just like dogs and like the way they move like they kind of had that halting motion which is almost because of the stop motion but it is like very dog like and like the way they kind of stay very still and then move really quick uh yeah um. I love the dog mannerisms in this movie. I think they're perfect. I think I agree, and it's a really good. I mean, I, I think that people like dogs a lot. Dogs, at, at least in oh, my controversial like, statement of the year. Yeah, Benjamin, <laughs> Benjamin Carlson. People like dogs a lot. People fucking love dogs. So it's hard to mess them up in a movie. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. they don't mess them up in this movie. They get them just. That, they get that's them right. really true. We are willing to forgive a lot of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's there's another thing in this movie. Um, uh, the it's said first by the uh, professor Watanabe, the science party 
guy. And then yes. later it's said by um, Atari in his speech, he says, uh, whatever happened to man's best friend? Yes. And this is an example of something I don't have a name for, but it's when like it's an something when I've heard an idiom or heard a phrase for like a long period of time, like my whole life, and then suddenly I hear it in a new context and it like means something new. And this was the example in this movie. Um, because like up to this point I've always thought of the phrase man's best friend as being more like I guess dog centric, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Like it's dogs are much more in love with humans than humans are with dogs in a way. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, we, like we have to determine like when they use the bathroom and when they go outside or like, you know, they we've determined their entire life. You know, we are. Well, yeah. And, and there are happy humans who don't have dogs, but yeah. I think the happiest dogs are the ones that have humans. True. That's a really good way of putting it. But, um, when, when he said, whatever happened to man's best friend, it kind of flipped that, like idea on its head i think where it's like we have a we have an obligation to dogs in a way because they are our best friend it's not so much that we that dogs love us more than than you know we appreciate it's more like we have an obligation to look after the species that cares so much for us um and i don't know that like that struck me so perfectly like the way he said that and um i still get chills thinking about the um the haiku at the end, which is a haiku, I assume, in Japanese because it's not in English. <laughs> it says, whatever happened to man's best friend? Uh, falling flower blossom. <laughs> it, well, uh, yeah, I, I was actually a little bit confused by that, but I guess, yeah, it was actually in Japanese, not in English. Yeah, I was like, was not... I was definitely confused. I was like, it's not a haiku. <laughs> but no. it wasn't it. Um, wasn't it super beautiful? Like, didn't it make the mayor cry? Yeah, it was uh... beautiful. <laughs> and um which which is pretty cool and and i i think the more beautiful part of it was the the sentiment the like man's best friend which is i think while it's done well in this movie one of the less original ideas this movie kind of brings about there's a there's plenty of movies about how dogs are man's best friend but it does have its own kind of original spin on it where it's less about like realizing how much the dog loves you and more about how we have uh that responsibility to care for the dog to, to love the dog back uh, which I think is really cool. Uh, sliding back a little bit, sure. talking about the science party. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so I, so in this this movie, we have the uh, the party that's in power that is very obviously corrupt. The Kobayashi's, and, yeah. Yeah, the Kobayashi, but they don't hide it. Like, there's no because there's there's a sense of conspiracy that the government is rigging the election and that they're spreading false information to pr- push this anti-dog agenda. Fake news fake news it is and the what does this movie set up as the antithesis to the corruption to the to the the party that is in power do they set it up as uh you know an opposition party not specifically they set it up as the science party because what do people who believe in science believe in they, do they have faith in science no they believe in truth they believe in <laughs> provable fact so it's the that is i think a worthy uh opposition for a party that promotes things that are not true misinformation uh which i think is an interesting take on it because i don't really know a science party per se in real life uh on but i think it would be it's an interesting concept to have that be uh your opposition because what's their their platforms are all built on truth so you know you can trust them it's science that's true you know and but it's interesting how they still don't win right they don't even get they get only they get like one point three percent of the vote or something stupid like that. Like, 
at the end of the movie when they have the, the election. He gets they have like to pretend. Of the vote. Yeah. <laughs> they have to pretend that uh, that some because I'm pretty yeah. sure that's all supposed to be faked, right? Like the numbers are fake. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's definitely some stuffing about it. But right, around. but or yeah, or even if it wasn't, like they, they, they can just do whatever they want. So it's it's not even worth looking at the numbers. But they, uh, I, I okay. So when when what is his name? The the, the candidate for the uh, uh, Professor Watsonabi. Yes, Professor Watsonabi. When he licked the what the poison wasabi. Yeah. D- they cut away like they show you he, he licks and then you don't know what happens right so because it gives you a chance he knows something's up he he knows right, it was he's different very suspicious, he, he, yeah. yeah he's suspicious and he licks it and then that's it did you i, I liked how they did that because i thought it was an effective form of uh kind of like a cliffhanger mid movie because hmm. i thought because he had seen it and he licked it he was like oh he saw the poison. He's totally right. fine. But at the same time, I was like, but he did just ingest it in some way. Yeah. And I love when movies do that. I, I feel like if you can confidently say you knew he was going to die after that, uh, then you're you're lying because <laughs> it, it's it's ambiguous enough uh, right. and so that it keeps the movie unpredictable. I, I, I think this movie is hard to predict. Yeah, but then uh, like the way he dies is so funny because they say that he – he ingested enough poison to kill a thousand like blue whales or something yeah. like that. Like, <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, from uh, that one tiny little thing. Yeah, that's funny. Um, which at the same time, wasn't he on house arrest? Yeah, he was. That's how they got it to him. Right, right, right. But obviously people are going to suspect the powers that be if this guy who's never shown a suicidal like, tendency the, in his life suddenly thing, kills right? himself that, when he's like, on house arrest? The corruption is so deep that like nobody's even going to question that. You know, They can literally do whatever they want. Well, that's, it's a good thing that they had um, Tracy Walker, the American foreign exchange student, yes. who decided to dig a little deeper. Okay, so let's back up a little bit before we talk about her, because I do want to talk about her. Um, so do you think this movie is an allegory for anything in like current like goings-on? Or do you think this is more of a um, kind of general morality tale? I would like to think it's a little bit more general morality just because I'm sick of things referencing the current political like situation. Okay. Uh, including myself. I feel like <laughs> I bring it up too much, but I also see it in culture too much. Uh, but it sounds like maybe you have a dissenting opinion. What, what I do don't, you think? I don't know, honestly. I was curious because you're much more informed in like, uh, current events, I think, than I am. So I was, wor- I was wondering if there was something that you like picked up on that I didn't. But – no, well, I, I'd be I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I, if I said I didn't think about the current political system when it came to the misinformation campaign that yeah. the uh, what is the name of the family the mayor um, Kobayashi the Kobayashi administration was running uh, definitely too it, it's it's just too similar to what we're going through with uh, with misinformation fake news in the United States to not think of that when they bring that up but I think that they tastefully stayed away from. Uh, trying to make this a parallel in any way to the American political uh, situation right now, especially with having a strong man kind of as the leader of the, uh, the, uh, the, the corrupt. Uh, like, you mean like a puppet or, or do you mean like, he's just like, uh, he's, he's like just, a w- strong well, man for the movie. You mean? I'm sorry, not straw man. I meant to say uh strong man, oh, uh, kind okay. of in a same, it's similar to Donald Trump, uh, but he's still very much his own, uh, person and doesn't like you can still be a strong man leader without being Donald Trump. And, sure. Uh, so I, I think that this m- movie does something that I, I like and doesn't try to be a parallel in any way to the current situation. I feel like US. it kind of is, but it isn't one to one. 
Um, but like I do like this one part that he talks about when they when the pro dog uh, kids show up on the stage and they're like, there's a lot of corruption going on and, and stuff. And he says that uh, this is, you know, this dissenting op- opinion is uh, because of overseas special interest groups that have been sent here to agitate disorder. Yes. No, that, like, that's that, exactly. That yeah. fell a little like, <laughs> on the nose, I think. Yeah. Um, no, agreed. That's a little bit Russia. Exactly. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, and I think that, that that is kind of in this whole general misinformation, like taking on that as a topic. Sure, yeah. that's like the current political climate. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll I will I'll rephrase my answer in the sense that it makes a reference to uh, what's currently going on in the political system, but not mm-hmm. necessarily anyone specific. Okay, uh, just covering those general ideas, which is, in my opinion, a fresh take. Kind of, even though a lot of people are talking about this, it's kind of a different angle on it. I suppose. I don't think it's very brave or, like, new, though. You know, it's kind of stating the obvious for me, I think. You know, it's like we all know that there's a corruption going on. We all know that, like, like science and, you know, even truth maybe is being pushed down in favor of, like, other ideals, which I, like, what are those? <laughs> I don't know. But, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a hot take for me. It's just, uh, you know, the truth, what's going on. It doesn't give you much of a hope or anything like that at the very least i i hope that maybe it's just a landmark something where you look back on this movie hopefully mm-hmm. in the future we have a better grasp on what's truth and what's not and maybe this isn't what's you know what's important to talk about in politics anymore and we can say look this is what was going on back it's, then and it like how dates it in a way dates it or i guess but i would date for me just has such a negative connotation sure. it, it's just showing uh maybe like what was relevant at the time which again sounds like dating it but no, i don't no, want it no, no. no i understand that and it, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing really it can yeah. reflect what we're thinking about at the time you know yes uh, that's 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 a good way of putting it okay so do you want to talk about tracy i do want to talk about tracy but before we talk about tracy sure. i want to take a little break okay so uh we are going to uh, yeah take a quick break collect ourselves and when we return we will complete our discussion on isle of dogs so stay with us And we are back. And first thing we're going to talk about is Tracy Walker, the American foreign exchange student who ends up playing a pretty big role in this movie. Uh, Joey, what did you think of Tracy? I thought she was cool. I really liked uh, her representation of America, I think. I'm not really sure what she's supposed to say exactly. Like, is she, like, uh, an example of journalistic integrity? Is that something that's American? I don't know if that is. But, um... I don't know. I like that idea. I like her as the kind of a foreign, as a foreign exchange student, and like being kind of this voice that you can understand or relate to because she is the only one speaking English. Um, and I do like that she's kind of crazy, right? She has that whole board. She's like totally obsessed with 
the conspiracy and she has that huge binder full of like facts that she carries around so she can try to prove her point yeah i, I don't know i liked her i liked her design and everything yeah i uh i i saw her more as american meddling and foreign affairs okay uh but doing it altruistically you know she's always out for good and for people to be uh treated fairly so all american values i don't think they were doing anything dishonest i let i especially liked the way that she was dressed up after she became uh part of their government uh and she (laughs) i noticed that what was that she was wearing this uh like this uh, it's like like a power suit i don't really know what it's called but she was wearing this like all one piece uh garment that was all print is just a bunch of american flags all over oh really (laughs) yeah it was actually kind of like it's not just like a pattern of american flags it's kind of uh more of a design and, and it was it looked good so i was like yeah go go usa that's cool. i was a, you know i was afraid that um a caucasian american might not be in this movie and you know how <laughs> caucasian americans are always very underrepresented in film so of i'm course. very glad to see them slide in here uh in a in a movie that had mostly a uh, japanese characters at least that's how they uh, looked right i know obviously the cast had a lot of white people in it yeah uh, i feel like um i feel like like she does a good job of representing women in this film i think you know she is kind of it's like her femininity isn't really part of the story at all but she's also like an important part of this of the whole story and the whole narrative so having her just kind of be a female voice is you know nice representation i think it's you know kind of lends credence to that um whereas i feel like there are not as many female characters in this movie as i don't know maybe i would have liked to seen i guess I've, like nutmeg the the dog the female dog I, mm-hmm. she doesn't i don't understand the point of her that was my biggest nitpick with this movie it's like what why was she even in this movie like does she really serve a purpose is it because scarlett johansson said she wanted a part and they're like uh <laughs> i guess we have to give it to you <laughs> wait okay so nutmeg is she meets brian cranston's character chief yep when he's drinking the water that's supposedly poisonous right yes. so so, okay, here's one thing that I actually did get out of that scene, and, and maybe this is the only reason she's in the movie, because I, I, I agree with you. I don't really see what her her purpose was. Besides, I think it was to use the word bitch uh, for its correct meaning. Uh, when they're talking to the owl, they're like, That's you'll, right. you'll, you'll find, find this bitch. bitch. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, she's a female dog. So I thought that was, that was clever. So maybe that could have been the reason, but I think it's more likely that they wanted to uh, fight well, well, make a statement on how women are viewed because before mm. they know Nutmeg, because they know what her name is, they yeah. refer to her as the uh, the dog that made it with Felix, right? right. Some other dog. So she some other she, male dog. Yes, a male dog. So she was known by the dog that she had allegedly uh, had intercourse with. Sure. That that was her whole identity according to dogs that had that knew of her, right? Yeah. And she knows this as well. She wasn't very happy about it, uh, and she's. You know, when she first meets uh, Chief, she, she kind of gives him the attitude because right. that's how he introduces her. Oh, you're the dog that made it with Felix. Uh, and she kind of makes him look stupid for having no, for referring to her that way, which I thought was a pretty powerful message because I think that is somewhat part of our culture uh, to maybe associate a girl with, like, the guy – like, to, to make her identity just this guy's girl. Uh, yeah. And they kind of they, – they fight that uh societal pressure and say no she's she's like look at me i am my own person uh so you refer to me as such 
Although it is undercut by the fact that she really isn't her own person within this film, I thought that the scene worked well in making Brian Cranston look silly for doing uh, something that may be seen as chauvinistic sure. uh, in viewing her as less than a person. No, I, I, Dustin a dog, I think you mean. Um, yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I didn't, I didn't notice that, but you're definitely right. Um, I don't know. I feel like it would have been better. I mean, I don't know, honestly, but uh, in hindsight, it's always easier to critique movies. But yeah. um, I feel like it would have been better if one of the like five dogs in the group, in like the alpha dog group, had been a female. That could have been like another kind of twist on the alpha dog pack, right? And saying like, oh, they're all alpha dogs, so they they have to form a democracy because none of them is on top. But like, if one of them was a female too, like that could have been an extra kind of you know commentary on that, I think. Um, but I guess that's just a missed opportunity. Right, know. sure. And, and it's so, like, like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, yeah, I, but I do. I think that we can all agree that maybe we could have used a little bit more female involvement, um, at least from the dogs, because they do come across as somewhat of an afterthought, even though the character of Nutmeg is somewhat highly regarded by the other characters in the movie. Just yeah. comparing screen time and just overall importance to the plot, it's not even close. Yeah, I mean, she's almost totally innocuous. She does have like she doesn't do nothing, but her part could have been given to someone else, and it wouldn't have mattered. So, um. Yeah, I would not not a huge fan of that, honestly. Um, so there's a part, there's a couple things that I noticed only on my second viewing, um, and those were, um, a little kind of plot details, I guess. Like okay. at the end, uh, Atari says um, that he he's been reading the Daily Manifesto, and that's how he knew about all the corruption. And I was like, when did that happen? Because he's like shown with the dogs on Trash Island all this time. Like, how did he know all this stuff about it? Uh-huh. But on the second time I watched it, I noticed that after Chief and Atari are on top of the causeway when they're waiting for the other dogs to get through the incinerator, um, a trash thing falls down on like a little little thing, but opens up and there's a newspaper in that trash can, and it, I think it's the Daily Manifesto because in it it has. It has pictures of the dogs, and it says rescuers slash abductors. Yeah. And it wouldn't have said rescuers at all if it hadn't been the Daily Manifesto. I didn't – I don't know. I wasn't looking close ah. enough. So I feel like that's probably where he found it because they were up there for a while, but it would have been nice to see him kind of read that or something. That wasn't really clear to me, um, but I feel like they did explain it. Another thing is the hacker. So I Okay. Felt- yes. This is I, – I wanted – this is what I was going to bring up next Okay. because this guy – clearly plays a huge role he's kind of like he comes in in the clutch in the climax of the oh my movie gosh to, to move things along and the uh, the theater i was in was really enjoying the hacker because yeah. whenever he shows up he he gives the camera such a like a shit-eating grin and you can't help but laugh uh because <laughs> he's, so he's just he's he's because you don't really get uh, and, and i'm sure you have more insight than me uh yeah. so I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you what i thought of it Uh, And then you can tell me what it means Uh, because he kept showing up and smiling and it was just hilarious. Even though I didn't know exactly what was going on with this guy, I could tell that he was kind of like being a little bit sneaky, like kind of like a spy (laughs) in the sense that he was like blending in with his surroundings, but also very much sticking out. Uh, (laughs) He he was definitely a part of it, but he was giving you the eyes saying, I like, look, I'm here right now. And like, isn't it crazy? So I, I would love to know a little oh, bit that, more about that that's hacker. basically all i got like like i didn't notice him at all i thought he just showed up at the end um and like saved the day and i was like oh well that's kind of you know that's a day of sex machina like i don't 
where did he come from? Like, I knew he, I saw him one other time in the movie. But then the second time, because now I knew what he looked like, I picked up on where he was. And, yeah, he kept showing up all the places. It was so funny. And I feel like they really did establish him as being, like, in the mix of it, you know, always there. Yes. So it was a lot less surprising when he shows up at the end um, to totally save the day um, because, like, he had shown up so periodically, so consistently throughout that you just like, oh, now we're going to the hacker, obviously, because he's got this whole thing on lock. Right. So he shows up at the end. He's like in a room by himself hacking as all of the uh, Hack like, successful. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I actually didn't get it. I like being in the tech field. I like to try to get eyes on the screen to see if like whatever they're showing as hacking is yeah. even remotely realistic. I didn't get a good look at it in this movie. I think it was in Japanese anyway. Yeah. So I really wouldn't have known, but. Do you? Where else does he show up before that? As he shows up on the TV, um, they're like panning over all of the soldiers that like are showing him, and he's drawn. Obviously, all the soldiers are like black and white, but he's colored in. He's like flesh colored, and he's like sitting there with like exactly what you're saying that shit eating grin, just like half smiling, with eyes like moving back and forth. It's so funny. And then there's uh, another part where uh, it's during uh, one of the, like the owl's speech um, yeah. at the end. Uh, the Oracle is watching the TV and finding out about uh, um, Kobayashi's plan, and he's in the background with the soldiers. Like, there's three soldiers standing there watching the TV, and he's in the background also watching TV. And he just like shuffles into frame, and nice. he's, he's smiling. He I was like, yeah, he was making the theater laugh every time he came in. I think there's another time that's really good because I didn't pick up on it. I wish I had. I wish they had picked up on it because um, that would have been better for me. Yeah, there was. I think there's one other time too when he shows up, like on the bridge, maybe. I think he was actually there in person one other time, but I I can't remember exactly. But yeah, definitely, definitely one of the Easter eggs that kind of gets thrown in your face at the end because you're you're like, oh, he's really influencing the story now. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that it was a really uh, effective use of that Easter egg too, because I don't think it was too hard to see it before. He wanted you to see it. Yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson, and then because it actually does end up inf- impacting the plot in a big way, uh, which is satisfying after you have noticed him all those times. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so there's one other thing that I picked up on on my second viewing, which was um, at so the 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 microphone or earpiece thing that's in spots in Atari's ears, mm-hmm. like are very they have a lot of indication, like they they light up red when they're not in range or not working and green when they are in range and working. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, when you first see spots, I was paying attention because he, he pulls, he puts him on the stage and he says, spots is going to be the first dog deported to trash Island. Um, he does have the, the thing in his ear and it's green. And as soon as you see spots, you see a silhouette of Atari. You see like his, his outline. And then later on, um, there's like another like angle where you see spots again, and he like looks off to the distance, and it like it focuses on spots, and then the camera shifts its focus, and it focuses on Atari. Before it focuses to Atari, it's um, there's a little green light in the background that you can see. That's all you can see is the green light, and then it focuses, and you can see the silhouette of Atari with the green light in his ear. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's something <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you, movie, for the extra little reference. <laughs> that is cool. I like that. Um. Okay. Uh, well, it's one of my favorite lines in this movie is when they're talking. The, there's a conspiracy. There's the conspiracy guys, right? There's the Kobayashi Robotics. There's building the robot dogs. There's the um, the the the, the, the clench fist gang, which is like you know, getting people down. And there's also like the pharmaceutical company that's making all the, like the dogs sick. And uh, Kobayashi says, "Brains have been washed. Wheels have been greased. Fear has been mongered." 
I love that. <laughs> yeah, I like that line too. Fear has been mongered. Hilarious. <laughs> it's really good. Um. Okay. Do you have something? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I, we talked about already a little bit was sure. uh, how we liked the dog mannerisms. Uh, but all these, most of the dogs were, uh, uh, you know, grown adults, and f- with good reason because these dogs are put in a lot of adult situations. Uh, but when we finally get eyes on some puppies, this movie delivers with some adorable <laughs> little puppies. Uh, Just born. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, especially like the one that can't like find a place to latch on. Yeah. That puppy kind of like steals the show on his own uh and just being cute and uh, adorable out there and you totally forget that this is a lifeless thing that they're moving frame by frame and you just kind of appreciate how uh, adorable these puppies are i i'm a sucker for puppies uh and this movie definitely brings brings the uh the intensity when it comes to putting adorableness on the screen that's true it definitely does and those puppies are pretty cute very very and- cute so yeah, and okay. So, but also speaking of intensity, this is kind of taking it in the opposite direction. Uh, the the topic of cannibalism comes up, which oh. you're you're definitely it, you know it comes to mind when you think of abandoned on a trash island. How are you going to eat? So they meet these dogs that are being kind of led by spots. Kind of uh, his, I don't know, just his his ragtag group. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess maybe cult is a little too strong. Ragtag is a little more whimsical, uh, but. <laughs> But what they what they do uh, is well they all experience this terrible uh, tragedy where they have to eat one of their own. Uh, it was just a heavy subject, and it was oh my gosh, tough to tough to watch, tough to watch, and yeah, they were tough for them to recite. They kept uh, howling in the middle of it. I had to eat him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Fuzz, I mean, poor was, fuzzball, R- right? Fuzzball. Yeah. And, and it's just it's tough to um, you know these cute adorable dogs, but they do get to some really grim. Uh, topics that is one of the things that maybe maybe it goes over the head of kids because they might not understand exactly the extent of what they're watching but uh, that was one of the more traumatizing things in this movie and did you notice that that dog the dog telling the story is voiced by Heinrich Keitel Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs I didn't realize that while I was watching it I actually didn't notice he was in this movie uh, which star studded <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah well, speaking of disturbing moments in this movie, what, what did you think about the sushi scene when they were making the sushi? Oh, so cool. Just so cool. I mean, I could watch oh, that on repeat without plot surrounding it. Just watching stop motion sushi being prepared. It was Very so nice. like, sh- like it gives me shivers in my spine just like thinking about it. Like the, all the animals are still alive as they cut them up. And like the fish's mouth is still moving when they put it on the side. And like the crab is scuttling around and then she rips it in half. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she's like beating the, the tentacles so that it like stays stiff and everything. Ugh. That's crazy. So, so cool. Very similar, in my opinion, to while I, I guess it shouldn't. I guess this is getting back into cannibal territory. But <laughs> preparing the the seafood was really similar to the kidney transplant, hmm. uh, in the sense where it was just precision and maybe something you don't see every day, uh, but you get to see it from the point of view of stop motion, yeah. and it's just super, uh, it's super satisfying. Honestly, I uh, I really enjoyed that sequence, both of those sequences. Yeah, they were um, they were really cool, but definitely like, I don't know, that's something that's gonna stick out in my mind, especially every time I go to get sushi from now on. Yes, well, <laughs> the the crab. I mean, the thing is, it was brutal, but it was also really satisfying just to see the crab like shells like come off and they start pulling the organs out and it like immediately. Yeah, it's so efficient. It, so well, like. 
it immediately, it immediately looks appetizing to me. It goes from living creature to like, oh my god, I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, I like is kind of brutal. Clear, clearly a carnivore. So yeah, oh, I love me some meat. It doesn't matter what animal it was. I'm a little more comfortable with watching seafood get killed before I eat it. I guess uh, I think that mammals maybe have a softer spot in my heart um, and in my uh, arteries because uh, <laughs> when, I, when I eat them so much. Um, but hold on, pulling it back. Pulling it sure. back to the cannibalism scene, who are these other dogs? I feel like we don't get to know them very well because we're we're kind of in and out kind of quickly. From that, we move on from Spot's uh, kind of gang and move on yeah. with just Spot. So, did you feel did you feel the same way? Do you think that was kind of rushed or that we needed to know these dogs any better? Or maybe I didn't appreciate the time we spent with them. Like, what what, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I guess I wish I kind of seen a little bit more of them, like them doing things. I guess you know, kind of like helping them build a boat or whatever, because they kind of, they're kind of in the background for most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I did feel like that was a little bit lacking. Uh, but at the same time, you do get like their whole story, right? Because Jupiter. Um, and the Oracle outlined what happened to them, where they were tortured and everything. And then Spots brings them, uh, when they bring them to the their like little facility, he's like, many of these dogs were abused. Like you can sometimes, if you look closely, you could see. And he's like, actually, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> like they're missing like limbs and eyes and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But uh, also like, I don't know it's it's kind of nice in a way because Spots becomes one of them at the end, right? He has like a bionic eye and like his mm-hmm. legs all bandaged up. So. He, um, I don't know. Yeah, that was, it was kind of a nice little touch. I did like having them in the movie, but I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I would have liked to see more of them. Potentially, you know, and, and again, it's all 2020 in retrospect, but I, I, for me, I guess I would have liked to see a little bit more of the dogs that had survived for so long and found a way to survive through spots. Um, yeah, that would have been kind of cool. But at the same time, like this movie is really concise and everything. So it wasn't really important to the rest of the story. Right, right. And okay, so, and also you talked about building the boat there. Atari, the goat at just construction. Yeah, he, he fixes built, his plane. He built, yeah, he trash. fixed his plane and he also built a boat to get him back that was like powerful enough to pull all the dogs. Yeah. I mean, forget Bob Miller, forget Handy Manny, dude. Give me Atari. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's all you need. It was, I was impressed. I, I thought that I was, he was like, a what, a couple days 12. he made that? How long did it take him to make that? Yes, he, he a very capable 12 year old to be able to get all that done. Um, well, maybe so, those but, dogs had some uh, some experience with engineering. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, they could figure out how to travel on the, the pulley lift or whatever. On the that zip lines, yeah. Z- yeah. So, they, they, you know, it's pretty smart dogs he was working with there. Um, so, there's a, another part of this movie that's a good, like, dog thing is mm-hmm. the uh the robot dogs and how they have no smell um yes which is like I was, like i didn't pick up on it the first time but like i'm going back through and you know reading stuff on reddit and stuff like it, it is interesting how um like you can't trust a dog you can't smell right because every dog has a smell and yeah. every every dog has really good like sense of smell so like the the dog with no smell is like you know some sort of soulless thing in a way yeah it, it doesn't exist um although can't be okay trusted. low key though i i like the uh idea but low key though what are these dogs running on that they're like totally emissionless 
His dogs have really sensitive noses, so they'd be able to smell something coming out of a fully autonomous robot dog. That's I mean, maybe point. if you're running on batteries, this is in the future, so maybe they've got some new battery technology where these dogs can sustainably work for a long time. In which case, I guess I'd be willing to concede. <laughs> but I think you're almost dissing dogs' noses when you say they wouldn't be able to smell uh, a robot. Unless I think they should have called the instead of robot dogs called them emissionless robot dogs, <laughs> so that I would I could rest assured that they're not. This isn't a slight against dogs' uh, smelling abilities because dogs are very good at smelling. Yeah, that's that's true. You know that is a good point. But I know I did like that detail though. And did you, okay, so I don't know if I'm just imagining this, but at the end when they they unveil the robot dog to the public. And the dog like shows up with like that sheet over its head. It to me it kind of looked like the outline of a cat. Um, oh. Uh, which was interesting. I don't know what that's supposed to mean or anything. I mean, obviously cats are behind it because like cats are running the Kobayashi robot thing too. But like it's interesting that like it's kind of like this hint of like who's really behind it. You know, this kind of silhouette because it was a dog. Obviously, when he takes the thing off, but before that, it's like. Is this a is this a dog or a cat? I like that. I, the cat conspiracy going on continues. Yes. Well, <laughs> because I felt like the reveal was a little bit lackluster. I was kind yeah. of expecting them to take the sheet off and it be a robot dog that looks like a real dog, and mm. they're the, like the the replacement of dogs is finally complete and they can like get away with murdering all dogs without the people feeling bad about it because they're like oh but we have new and improved dogs now they're robotic and they're better they in look every way just like dogs yeah right but in, instead do you still have this cold metallic uh you know fake dog goddard from jimmy neutron and you don't have to you, you're not you, i i feel like humans a big part of reason why they like dogs is because they also just like the way dogs look uh, and mm. like, uh, well, th- they definitely look more appealing than just a like a, a metal lunchbox that can bark. So, uh, so I I felt like the the reveal there they they they, mi- they missed their opportunity to maybe step up their dog game. Although the, mm. the the robot dogs were impressive for what they actually did, which is chase down uh, real dogs. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I didn't really think about it that way, but yeah, no, I that that definitely lends. I think it's up to my theory that it was supposed to look like a cat because the, the like the reveal is so innocuous. Like, what was even the point of that? Like, why does he even have a sheet on him? You know, it could just maybe up. maybe they're supposed to be disappointed, be like, ooh, oh, okay, sorry, like Never mind. W- it wasn't what I expected. And later they can be like, ooh, maybe you wanted cats instead, and mm. people will be like, I I did want cats instead. For some reason uh, I'm thinking about cats. Why am yeah. I doing that? <laughs> Um, so there's, so, um, going back to the cat conspiracy thing, I don't, I don't have any good evidence for this. Um, but there was this one part that like was interesting to me and I don't know if I'm just like, I don't know. I have to see it again to like, to know for sure. But when Watanabe, not Watanabe, excuse me, when Kobayashi is giving an interview about Atari on the, on the news, he has a cat in his lap, but I don't know if you can see the cat when he's on TV. Hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Cause I I remember it going to the to the scene like it it sh- the camera shifts away from what's being shown on TV and shifts to the actual interview, which is in you know not two D animation. It's now in stop motion, mm-hmm. and there's a cat suddenly in his lap. And I don't remember if there was a cat in his lap before. It makes me think that maybe the cats are being left out of the narrative so they can more secretly run things from the background. Yes, um, but, I think it's definitely a part of it. But um, I don't know. I can't prove that so. 
someone else let me know i just i can't wait to hear from like people who are pro cat in response to this movie who are maybe think this is unjustified or if they think that this is exactly how cats would do it you know like, <laughs> cats finally definitely, they would like they have it they're exactly right like i i have a cat and if my cat was involved in this like political system they definitely be behind the scenes like not out in the open so uh, i think there's more to it and i would love to hear wes anderson or somebody more uh knowledgeable on this movie to hear what they're going for exactly because sure. uh they certainly can drive home themes and narratives in this movie when they want to and i think this is one that they want to they're just being especially subtle about it yeah which uh, makes it difficult uh but it's definitely intriguing uh, one of the Definitely. other things I wanted to comment on is the uh, complete happy ending at the end. I think everybody mm. wins, uh, even the bad guys get you know turn around and become good. Uh, way, the ones yeah. that well, the ones that can't go to jail, and that's a happy ending for everyone who's good, obviously. Uh, and they also go to jail with their cats. I guess someone <laughs> busted them for something. And uh, well, but but overall, we get our happy ending. The 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 dogs get together and have puppies, and even though um what's his name has to get pressed like he has like a robotic eye and a new leg it's it's all seen very positively Uh, and i I think it it really all comes together in in a movie that was at times bleak and depressing all comes together with the saddest well i would just say a happy ending did you find it to be satisfying i felt like i don't know i feel like nowadays we're very like against happy endings because like the world has become so gray and everything like everything kind of has this you know, nuance and stuff, and, and and like no story ends anymore, right? Every story right. has like a sequel or something where like they redact all the happy endings. So like <laughs> happy endings are always like you know you can never make a a um, a sequel to a romantic comedy because in the sequel they have to break up again, right? And like yeah, that, that ruins the the idea of the first one where they live happily ever after. So like yeah, I, anyway, I think. I don't know. I was satisfied by the end of this movie because I felt like it was a nice, like, kind of twist almost for everything to end happily instead of like having everything, having that kind of ambiguity that I'm so used to nowadays. I I completely agree. I completely agree because uh, throughout this movie, I'm saying this movie is cutting edge. It's bold. It's original. So there's no way we're going to get a happy ending. And what do they do? They hit you with a happy ending. So I I, I agree with you. I think a lot of times I not not necessarily that I prefer a happy ending, but I think that happy endings are one of the predictable endings. That you could say from the beginning, you could be like, oh, I bet it's going to happen. They're going to be all fine. Everyone's going to survive. You know, right. you could you could call that out, which would be different than how some movies end where it's not a happy ending or uh, like a sad ending or whatever. It's just something completely different that you couldn't have seen coming. Uh, I think that it's almost at this point unexpected to see a movie come to that happy ending, especially which is one weird to say, right? One. Because like you always like a happy ending is the cliche. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, have, have we gone through enough? Not like. Has postmodernism gone so far that we've gone all the way back around to sincere? I don't know. But this movie tries to do it, and I think it does it well. It does do it well. I think it's the appropriate way to end it. And it's another reason why I think you could make it a kid's movie, because it's very obvious that they win at the end. Yeah, that's that was my feelings exactly. Um, so another part of the ending that I thought was really interesting was uh, when Atari is in charge and everybody, all of his friends are like helping him you know, form the new government. Um, they talk about how... Like say obviously everyone who is cruel to animals, especially dogs, should be punished, and like the current punishment is is the death penalty. And Atari says no, we should make it thirty days of community service and a fine instead. Um, 
And I thought this was really interesting because it's this kind of idea of forgiveness or rehabilitation instead of incarceration, which yeah. is like the total opposite of what the 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 cats were doing, right? The other the the previous administration was taking all of their problems and putting them somewhere else so they don't have to think about it. That's what they were doing with the dogs. Mm-hmm. But Atari is more focused on, you know, saying, let's make, let's, you know, let's turn this around. Let's make these people better people, you know, instead of just trying to ignore them. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that's like, if there's any message to take away from this movie, I feel like that's it, you know, is that like the idea of prison in general is so like terrifying especially since we have no evidence that it even works right it's not a good rehabilitation process a lot of people that go to prison end up going back to prison so like obviously whatever you know we're supposed to be learning from that is is not happening i agree and i that's another topical one is prison reform it's definitely uh, an issue here in the states uh and i i actually didn't pay that close attention to in this movie so i think it's a, a a valid point I feel like that's like the dog's influence in a way is that kind of idea of loyalty or forgiveness, you know, coming back and, um, you know, well, giving people a second chance. Yeah, no. And it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, what's his, with, with chief because chief says multiple times in this movie, I bite. Right. And towards the end of the movie, he kind of has a realization. He doesn't know why he bites. Um, and he has to kind of, uh, accept that he does, but, and also try to better himself. Uh, And I think that that's an appropriate way to look at it. Maybe uh, for humans, it's not necessarily biting, but violence in some form. And just and we should look at it as just because you have committed violence doesn't mean that you're lost to society for the rest of your uh, for forever. You know, you can be changed in the right situation. You can find a way to get past those issues. And yeah, I think that's uh, a really salient point. I, I really didn't think about it that much, but it makes sense. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Watson, uh, not Watanabe. I keep saying Watanabe when I mean Kobayashi. Kobayashi and and um, uh, Chief both have that kind of realization. They have that change of heart at the end, and I think, um, yeah, that, like that. That's exactly the point they're trying to make. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to talk about? Oh, okay. So this is another thing that I'm not like super sold on, but it's kind of a half baked theory, and that's like that circles are a bad thing in this movie. You see, I, I don't know if it's just a stylistic choice or if it like, or if it's just like um, like a general motif or what. But throughout the movie, there are scenes of circles, like uh, things being circular and those things being bad. Like um, at the very beginning during the prologue, they when the dogs are surrounded, they're all surrounded in a circle, and that that circle of dogs, them looking straight up, is um, like repeated throughout the movie several times. There's one part where um, Atari shows up. Oh, he's at the island, and then the drone shows up above him, and mm-hmm. the dogs are surrounding him, and they all look up at the drone. And there's another part at the end when Jupiter and all the other dogs are about to be poisoned, and they all look up at the drone, and they're like in a big circle. Um, there's also the whirlpools that are outside of the... Speaking of like great animation, the water in this movie is incredible, but seeing the whirlpools outside of uh, Trash Island... Um, their circulars and like leading to their doom in a way that Spots is about to encompass. And then when Atari actually crashes into the island, his plane makes a perfect circle of debris around him. And maybe this is all just stylistic things. Is uh, you know, Wes Anderson loves symmetry so much, and mm-hmm. circles are perfect sim- like symmetrical objects. So maybe it's just that. But I felt like there was kind of this idea of circles being a bad thing. And if I was to extrapolate from that, I would say that maybe they represent a status quo in a way, like. Circles represent an endless, something endless, something like corruption that would never end. 
I don't know. That's, that's a I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I'll be honest. I I don't think I noticed as many circles. But hot damn, another movie with a circles. Motif. Yeah, maybe I'm just like <laughs> maybe I'm just still off the Hudsucker thing. Yeah, like, just throw back to I'm circles on the mind. So. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm not super confident in that, but I, I don't know. I thought I'd talk about it. No, yeah, definitely worth bringing up. Okay, so guess something? No, I'm actually uh, I'm handing it off to you at this okay. point. I, I've I got run one over more all... thing to talk about. Oh, excellent. All right, so this is um, there, there. I think there's this big theme that's happening in the background of this movie, and that's nature versus humans. Mm-hmm. Um, th- the the big like theme of nature and the big like. Uh, physical thing that represents nature in this movie is the volcano that happens in the background. Um, and it's always there. It's like in every cityscape or anytime they show any part of the city, the volcano is there. And even when you're viewing the city from Trash Island, you can see the giant purple volcano. And it's so big. It's so much bigger than any of the other like things. Like the volcano is huge. And the, the buildings and everything is so small and so insignificant compared to that. And later on in the movie, when they're traveling across Trash Island, they pass all this, like, this, the remains of all this human activity. These uh, power plants and, like, industrial things. I wrote down exactly what it was. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, pipes and nuclear power plant. Uh, and there was, a, there was a mill and stuff. And the things that destroyed them were tsunamis, earthquakes, and volcanic blasts. And they do say, mention like offhand that all of these things are connected. They're all from the same event. But it was this, this kind of idea that humanity will be washed away. And like we're, we're nothing against nature. Um, mm-hmm. And we have to kind of embrace and live with nature if we are to really survive in any sort of way. Um, which I think is kind of this whole idea that the movie is going through. It really is about animal rights, about dog rights specifically, but about animal rights in general. It, you know, the sushi scene specifically is done by the evil people, you know, showing their cruelty toward animals in a way. Um, so, wow, I don't know. It's like I really like this idea. And uh, um, it's like really made really explicit, I think, in Atari's haiku at the end when he says, um, what's it? Whatever happened to man's best friend falling flower blossom. And then there's this really quick shot of the volcano going off the, the building that he like the mayor's house on fire and a bunch of skeletons sitting in like the pews watching what's happening. And it's like the, I don't know, maybe he's going for this kind of Buddhist idea that we're all going to die very soon. And that we should all kind of live as we're, if we're going to die very soon, this existentialism, but I don't know. Um, I don't have much more than that. It's no, I, (laughs) <laughs> I like it. I um, I, I it's it's definitely something that I missed. In fact, uh, I do remember seeing images of the volcano, uh, especially with the mayor's house in flames there towards the end. But um, it's something I guess I'd have to pay a little bit closer attention to next uh, on the next viewing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this movie is worth a few uh, viewings. Uh, but that is a very powerful motif to have going on, just sort of lingering in the background just uh on the back burner the whole time right and, and it's done so well because the volcano is always there you know it's always a re- it's like this constant reminder of the impending doom that they could possibly face so i don't know it's it's really um i don't know it's really poignant i think and even in like the play at the end when they're doing that um the children's play and in, in honor of um atari the, the volcano is in the background of that too Oh my gosh, the children's play with uh, the the 
beheading the like that. Yes, oh my yeah. god, the beheading. That's like a that's a Wes Anderson staple is really elaborate, really well produced stage plays. <laughs> really? Oh <Yes>. cool. <laughs> it's in so many of his movies. Well, yes. after something else. I think it's time to end this. Yes, no, I, I really enjoyed this movie. If you ha- I mean, obviously, if you listened here, you probably have seen it. Um, but if, I, if you like Dags. <laughs> if you like Dags, you're going to love this movie. And uh, But also, yeah, my first Wes Anderson film, I'm definitely excited to see more. I think I want to see uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, another Wes Anderson film I've heard a lot about. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino have this effect on me where whatever – uh, Quentin Tarantino or Wes Anderson film I've seen last is the one I like the most. So, um, agreed. I, I this is my favorite one right now, but until the next one comes out. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Please review us on iTunes. That helps us uh, get out to new listeners. We actually just got enough reviews so that we could be like listed or whatever on itunes and that's really bumped our numbers up for listening so thank you to those who have left us reviews and if you haven't it's a big help to us uh uh so yeah thanks to everyone who's reviewed us tweet at us use the hashtag affable chat hashtag affable chat on twitter or instagram if you feel so inclined joey thank you so much for joining me for another episode absolutely a pleasure as always and uh, that's it we're done cut it